You are listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We believe God is going to meet you right where you are today as you listen and dig into His Word. Amen, amen, amen. Come on, if you love Jesus, can you make some noise this morning? As the psalmist said, it says, I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. Can you look at your neighbor and tell them, I'm glad to see you this morning? Uh, that might have been the wrong neighbor. Find somebody else you're glad to see. I don't want you to lie in church. Listen, In Focus family, I am so excited to be here with you. I am Pastor Chris from Harrisonburg, Virginia, Divine Unity Community Church. We are part of our larger spiritual family, Every Nation, and we're so delighted to be here. But especially at In Focus, my wife and I, Sherelle, who's in the front, low, in the front row here, uh, we consider this just an extended home. Uh, I've been here a few times. Some of you all may know. I see a lot of new faces as well. And so we're always excited to be here with the Gerard family as well. And shout out to Pastor Brent, who's in Manila. I believe he's watching right now. Can y'all show him some love? Let him know you miss him, you love him. Hopefully you can hear the applause. The crowd goes wild for you. And uh, he told me earlier uh, this morning, which is at nighttime for him, he says, yeah, I'm going to find a way to get on one way or the other. His internet was a little choppy, but I checked the live feed to make sure I saw his comments. So he is on. What a good pastor. He, don't, he doesn't try to get away from you all. Uh, he wants to be as connected as possible. Uh, and so I'm, I'm delighted to be here. Uh, shout out from Harrisonburg, Virginia. As I said earlier, our church uh, is very similar to In Focus. We're multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational, and uh, truly a, a visual of what the gospel is and what the gospel does in regards to reconciliation. And as you look around and you see people from different backgrounds and different generations, different colors, different Hughes. Um, I want you to make sure that you realize that this is not normal in church, um, that this is a reality that God has allowed to be birthed. I'm going to expand on that a little bit more in my sermon, but I want you to be grateful to be in a space that can welcome people from different backgrounds under the banner of Jesus. Can somebody shout amen with me? Well, look, I believe there's a word from the Lord. I want to get into it. Acts chapter 2, Acts chapter 2, and we're going to start at verse 1. I'm going to read verses 1 through 18, and I'm, com- and I'm coming out of the New Living Translation. Acts chapter 2, starting at verse 1, going through verse 18 in the New Living Translation. Now, we have a tradition at my church. We like to say participation is better than observation. And typically, I make everybody read, but I'm not going to make you read today. Could you at least rise to your feet as we read the word of God? I know some of y'all are thinking, you know, we were standing up during worship, and then we're standing up again. That's just spiritual calisthenics. Just get your blood pumping. Uh, But we stand in reverence. We stand in reverence of the word of God. And so I'm going to start off reading the scripture, and you can follow along, should be on the screen or whatever version that you have in front of you. On the day of Pentecost, all the believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there, were, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm, and it filled the house where they were sitting. 
Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit and began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. At that time, there were devout Jews from every nation living in Jerusalem. When they heard the loud noise, everyone came running, and they were bewildered to hear their own languages being spoken by the believers. They were completely amazed. How can this be? They exclaimed. These people are all from Galilee, and yet we hear them speaking in our own native languages. Here here we are. Parthians, um, Medes, Elamites, people of Mesopotam- from Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, the province of Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the, and the areas of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, uh, Cretans and Arabs. And we all hear these people speaking in our own languages about the wonderful things God has done. They stood there amazed and perplexed. What can this mean? They asked each other, but others in the crowd ridiculed them, saying they're just drunk. That's all. Peter said, step forward with the 11 other apostles and shouted to the crowd, listen carefully, all of you, fellow Jews and residents of Jerusalem, make no mistake about this. These people are not drunk, as some of you are assuming. It's only 9 o'clock in the morning. Uh, He says, much too early for that. For some people, they say, it's not too early, but it's much too early for that. Verse 16, he says, no, what you see was predicted long ago by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit upon all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions and your old men will dream dreams. In those days, I will pour out my spirit even on my servants, men and women alike, and they will prophesy. May the Lord add a rich blessing to the reading of his word. Listen, what I want to use for a title, topic, subject, and focus this morning uh, is simply this word here. Uh, Look at your neighbor and tell them this, beyond. Look at your other neighbor and tell them, go beyond. I believe that in as, we look, as we look at Acts chapter 2 today, that the Lord wants to take us beyond our human divisions, beyond our human abilities, and beyond our human expectations. Come on, does that excite anybody faith already? Anybody ready to just go beyond? Amen. You may be seated. Uh, I'm going to open this up in just a quick word of prayer as we dive into the word of God. Father, we thank you so much for who you are. We thank you for this opportunity, this space, and this place, both physical and spiritual. Lord, we believe that you've gathered here today, gathered us here today because you want to do something in us that could not be done anywhere else. So now, Lord, as we engage in this moment, let your word, which is living, powerful, and sharper than any two-edged sword, let it speak to us. And then one day may it speak through us. Uh, Lord, I pray as we are here at In Focus and those who are watching online, wherever we may be, Lord, I'm believing that you want to do something in us that will go beyond our wildest dreams and imaginations. Increase our faith today. 
Convict us where we are wrong. Straighten us out where we're crooked. Strengthen us where we're weak. Heal us where we're sick. Give us clarity where we're confused. Give us courage where we're discouraged. Give us faith where there's fear. Lord, we thank you. In Jesus' name, Lord, even as I preach, God, I pray that the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. In the mighty name of Jesus, amen. Somebody shout beyond. Uh, as we are here this second Sunday of June, last Sunday marked on our liturgical calendar, Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday is where we celebrate 50 days after Passover. And for us as New Testament believers, what I just read was what happened on Pentecost. It was the day the Holy Spirit descended upon humanity and not just on us, but in us. As we look at the day of Pentecost, it was several things that was mystical and somewhat mysterious and miraculous that all occurred on that day. And as we come to this moment here, this second Sunday of June in 2022, I still believe that God wants to do some mystical, mysterious, miraculous things in the lives of those who are willing to trust him. Uh, is anybody here with me still believing that we serve a miracle God, a miracle working God? I love the book of Acts because it's the place where I feel like we can be included. Why would I say that? Because you have the Gospels, and that was Jesus' show. The whole Bible is Jesus' show. He just invites us into the part after the Gospels. So you have Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, the synoptic Gospels. But then when you get to the book of Acts, we see that that's where the Gospel is applied. The Gospel is revealed in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, but the Gospel is applied in the book of Acts. It's where God invites ordinary people to be a part of an extraordinary story. It's where he partners his perfect message with imperfect vessels and still sends it across the world. See, in the, in the book of Acts, it gives us a chance to see that God can use you too. Now, if I was sitting beside you right now, and if I was your neighbor, I would lean over to you and tell you God can use you too. I've already used two of my tell your neighbors. I only got one left, so I'm going to hold on to that one. But I would let my person know, the person beside me, the person in front of me, I would begin to be encouraged about them and look at them not from their human possibility but from their God possibility. I will begin to believe greater things for them that God wants to do. See, the book of Acts, God uses these ordinary people for an extraordinary purpose. He invites them to be a part of it. And as I look at this idea and the terminology beyond, beyond typically goes beyond the norm. It goes further than mediocrity. It goes further than what you've seen before. See, this word beyond lets me know um, that there's more that I've seen. There's more than what I've seen. There's more than what, have I, what I've experienced. Now, here's what I found. Some of y'all don't know me. Uh, some of y'all might know me. But what I realize is that the best sermons and the best worship services happens when they there's a partnership. It happens when people are partnering together, but really when people begin to partner with God. It happens when people come into a place with an appetite that the world can never satisfy. I realize that when we come into moments like this, that when people are desperate, wanting more, and wanting to go beyond, it begins to move something from heaven to earth. And so let me poll the crowd. Do we have any desperate people here today? Do we have any people that didn't just come to check in for another Sunday? 
Sunday service. You didn't come just to sing another song. You came to join in with the angels in heaven because you believe that there is more that God has. There's more grace. There's more peace. There's more joy. And I just came here to get what God has for me. And so that level of desperation, fam, you just join in into the context of the book of Acts. It started off with some desperate people that wanted something from God that people had not received yet. And so as they came together, as they was waiting to see Jesus who had risen from the grave, Jesus shows up to them in Acts chapter 1, and Jesus drops a bomb on them. You'll catch the meaning of that in just a second. And he tells them in Acts 1.8, he says, he says, when you receive my spirit, you shall receive power to be my witnesses. Uh, and I said Jesus just dropped a bomb on them. Let me use a little bit of my exegetical analysis here. Well, he says, when you receive my spirit, you shall receive power. And that word power is dunamis. That's what we get our word dynamite. And so you can say Jesus dropped a bomb on them, right? And so now this moment, Jesus gives them this promise. He says, you will be my witnesses, and when you receive them, my spirit, you shall have power. And this power is from above. Now, when I look at the book of Acts and I follow throughout the narrative of the Bible, there's a few things that I see that continue to excite me. Because in the Old Testament, we see God above us. He's the creator. He's the man upstairs. We see God above us. He interacts with creation until creation falls by eating from the tree, and then there's a distance. But then when we get to the Gospels, we see God manifest, incarnate in Jesus, and so we see now God with us. So Old Testament... God above us. Gospels, God with us. When we get to the book of Acts, now we see God in us. Y'all see that transition real quick? Um, because we serve a God that's not just up there, that's not just with me, but now he wants to reside inside of me. Oh, don't you know that your body is a temple for the Holy Spirit? And so now we recognize in the book of Acts is when God takes residence, not in the world, but in us. That messes with me because I know my imperfections. I know my, I know my, I know my idiosyncrasies. I know, I know the places where I don't think God would want to come, let alone reside. He might want to visit because you think in the Old Testament, God visited a lot of imperfect people. Look at Samson, my God. Samson was imperfect. God would visit him and God will come upon him and he would be able to do supernatural things. And that was a visitation. But what God wants to do now is not simply have a visitation, but he wants to have a habitation. He wants to come in and sit with you. He wants to be able to help you sort through your thoughts. He wants you to be, he wants to be able to help you sort through your feelings. He wants to be able to help you get through the cloudiness in your mind. Hence, the Holy Spirit is also called counsel. Uh, Counselor. See, here it is. I know to nowadays everybody talk about mental health professionals. Don't you know that we were created in the image of God, that he put a mental health professional on the inside of us called the Holy Spirit that will help renew our minds and transform us from the inside out? And that's what begins to be introduced and given to us. Jesus tells his disciples, Acts chapter 1, he says, listen, I got this promise, the Holy Spirit. When you receive the Spirit, you shall receive power. He says, don't you, don't you go nowhere until you get it. Don't you go nowhere. See, I don't know, some of y'all was raised in homes where people didn't fuss at you. 
I'm not talking about verbal abuse. I'm talking about that good parental, raise my voice. And did you know when you become parents, I believe God releases the ability to come up with new idioms and axioms to speak to your kids. You know, it's stuff like this. I know some of us have heard this. The kids, we want McDonald's. And you turn around, do you have McDonald's money? Like, where did that come from? I believe that's from the Holy Ghost. It's just, it's really, really good, you know. Oh, and so it's like these things, like that terminology. Now, I don't promote this. Like, I brought you in this world, and I'll take you out. Like, what? Where does that stuff come from? You know, don't you go nowhere. Don't you go nowhere, but you're going to tell me do something, but then I don't go nowhere. But it's like I need the Holy Spirit to discern what you're saying. <laughs> Jesus speaks to his disciples. He says, look, I got a promise for you. He says, but don't you leave here because I want you to minister to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. But don't you go anywhere yet. Stay right here. I'm in Georgia. I can say right here. Ain't no R on it. Just right here. Stay right here. Don't you go nowhere. Because he knew that the next season of their life was going to require a power that they didn't have yet. Okay, I'm going to let you rest. They have seen power. They have witnessed power. But they didn't have the power yet. And he's saying the next season of your life, you can't go in with the power you had last season. Uh, can I just prophetically speak for a moment that maybe the next season of your life, God has had you in a holding pattern because he wants to down, download something inside of you that's going to be powerful, more powerful than what you had last year. So I can't go into the next season with last season's anointing that there's something greater he wants to give you. Some of us frustrated by the holding pattern. Now stay right there. He's working on something. And so as I look at this moment, as they come in the book of Acts, in Acts chapter 2, it opens up. It says all the believers were there, and they were on one accord, and they were praying. Now, more study would suggest that there was 120 people in what they call the upper room. In other words, they were in an open room. Uh, upper uh, relatively speaking, I've been to Israel, and they said this may have been the upper room, and it really is just a small elevation that was higher than the other places, but it was an open room. So upper open basically is saying it was close to a place where God show up. And so when I look at this place, they were in the upper room, or the, the open room. Uh, while they were there, they were praying on one accord. Now, I polled the crowd earlier, and, and I asked you all, were you desperate? Did you want more? Now, these people were the same ones. that They were desperate. They wanted more. Here's the thing. When you go back and read Acts chapter 1 on your own time, because that's what you do as a good church-going believer, you go back and read what the preacher told you about. As you go back and read Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, as you get in your small group, because that's what good disciples do. We connect with other people. It could be at the gym, at the coffee shop, wherever you need to be. But when you go back and read this, you're going to see a character that was in the upper room that always amazes me. Mary, the mother of Jesus. Now, when you hear Mary, why was she in the upper room? Let's look at her resume for a second. Right. The Holy Spirit came over her. She was impregnated with the Son of God, gave birth to Jesus, the Savior of the entire world. Jesus grew in her womb. None of us can say that. None, none of us. Ain't none of us had a virgin birth either, despite what lie you tell yourself. Like, I don't even know how it happened. We just we was watching Netflix, and then nine months later, it's not virgin. 
That's a version of your story. <laughs> so, so, so I can say Jesus has already been inside of her, resided for a moment. She's already experienced more divinity than any other human. But yet she's still in the upper room saying, I want the promise too. <laughs> what I'm saying is, I don't know what you've already experienced, but I know you haven't experienced what Mary had. And if she wanted a promise, you should too. In other words, don't stop being hungry. Don't stop being desperate. Align yourself with what God may have. Let me keep on going because I'm going to run out of time messing with y'all. Y'all are so good, man. Okay. As I look at this in Acts chapter 2, verse 1, they were in the upper room praying, the open room praying, and, and it says it was a mighty rushing wind, or either a gale force wind that came through. Uh, it, was, it was a sound like a wind, and so they hear this sound come through, and then they see this mystical thing of tongues of fire kind of floating around and then falling on each believer, and then they start speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them the ability to. And all of these folks were from one ethnicity. They were Galilean, men and women gathered in the upper room, the open room. And as they were there, the Holy Spirit came upon them. And when they were speaking in other tongues, some people would just camp out there. And I don't know exactly what your theological belief is and your theological orthopraxy of speaking in tongues. And some people would say, you got to speak in tongues right now. Maybe that might happen at the end of service. But there's so much more that happens. I want to look at the meaning behind the miracle of the tongue. The meaning behind the miracle would give us a greater gospel message that does not dismiss the miracle of us being able to speak in a heavenly language, communing with God and getting revelatory words. But as they spoke in different languages, uh, Acts 2.6, all these other folks came around them and it was about 16 different people groups and languages represented in Jerusalem that day on Pentecost because there was a festival, people came in from different cities and then see the, one of the first accounts in the gospel, I mean in the book of Acts where a Gentile begins to hear the gospel because there were those who were Roman who had been converted to Judaism but they had not yet heard the gospel. So 16 people gathered together, all of these languages popping off and they're declaring the wonderful works of God and the people who hear them in the open room, not just the upper room because the windows were kind of blown out by the Holy Spirit. There you go. And now at this moment they begin to hear people declaring the wonderful works of God in their own language. They were perplexed. So how is this that we begin to hear people imagine in your language or either in your idiom of your, of your diversity because this could be subcultures as well. Because imagine hearing people in different languages or even different settings saying the Lord is good and his mercy endures forever. And you begin to hear them say worthy is the God, worthy is God from the rising of the sun to the going down of the same. And you're hearing them declaring these wonderful works of God and they say what could this mean? The last time we heard people being able to communicate in such a level of unity was in Genesis 11 at the Tower of Babel. 
at the Tower of Babel. They decided versus going and scattering and reproducing as God gave them instruction. When Noah got off the boat, be fruitful and multiply, the same thing that he told Adam and Eve, that they were supposed to go and populate the earth. But the people at Babel, Babel, they decided to bring everybody together and say, we don't want to go anywhere. We'd rather just have church in our four walls. Y'all ain't got it yet. In other words... When God's people refuse to scatter, refuse to scatter and only want to gather, we're going to start babbling. Because at this point, God wants to reveal himself to the world, not just to you. And so his whole thing was Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And so the people in Genesis 11 start building a tower to represent their power and their dysfunctional unity, and they skip divine unity. And so God strikes them with confusion, and they begin to speak in different languages and begin to spread out across the world. And so when we get to Acts chapter 2, We finally see God says, now let me bring you together the way I want you to. I want you to be together on me because here's the thing. There's two types of unity that we must be aware of in the world. And hear me clearly. That there is dysfunctional or I could say destructive unity. And then there's divine unity. You will see people unify on things. And just because a bunch of people are saying the same thing does not make it well or make it right. And you, as a believer, will start feeling like the minority and thinking just because I believe something that now I'm left out. Divine unity does not mean quantity. It means quality. And so there are some destructive, unifying things, and people begin just to gather because it seems like it's a bunch of people. Every parade that happens does not need to include your float. You don't need to participate in everything. What, uh, let me go back to one of them parent idioms. If your friends jumped off the bridge, would you jump off the bridge too? But mom, we don't even have bridges in our town. I don't. But this idea that when a bunch of people are doing it, peer pressure, cultural pressure will begin to pull us away from promise. So God says, let me unify you on my terms. Because even as they are unified, the people begin to declare the wonderful words of God. They say, what all does this mean? And what I begin to recognize as a multi-ethnic, multicultural, multi-generational church in focus is that you are walking in one of the first manifestations, one of the first miracles of the Holy Spirit. People make it about tongues. God makes it about unity. See, people got to catch that. We try to make it theological. He makes it relational. He's now saying that I'm going to help you be able to communicate beyond the wall of hostility because the wall of hostility has already been torn down. I know y'all been in the book of Ephesians. And so now that the wall of hostility has been torn down, I'm going to give you the ability to talk to each other. I'm going to give you the ability to communicate with each other. I'm going to give you the sensitivity to tell somebody I love you even though you look different than me. I care for you even though you're older or younger than me. I'm going to give you the sensitivity and the ability to speak to one another and declare the wonderful works of God. Psalm 133 says, how beautiful, how beautiful it is when brethren dwell together in unity. It's like the oil that is poured down and runs down on Aaron's beard even to the hem of his robe. It's like the dew of Hermon that's coming down the mountain. 
And he says, there I command a blessing, life forevermore. That when we are unified on God's terms, it gets the attention of heaven and releases a blessing. It's simple. Follow God's equation. When we are unified on his terms, it gets the attention of heaven and it commands a blessing. They were on one accord praying and asking God to show up. And when he says, wherever two or three are gathered in my name, I shall be in the midst. Fam, I'm telling you, you will begin to find I am giving you marriage counseling right now. I'm giving you family counseling right now. I'm giving you cultural counseling right now. Because when we get together on God's terms, he begins to command the blessing. When you're connected on God's terms, it's not just who's right, who's wrong. You begin to say, where is God right? And how can we align with that? You give more grace. You give more mercy mercy and you are more peaceful when you're united on God's terms. So the first miracle of the Holy Spirit is that it takes us beyond our human divisions and it takes us beyond our human ability. As the Holy Spirit fell and they said, man, these people are going on the Patron. They drunk as a schizunk. That goose has cut them loose. They have been sipping on that scissor. However, they drunk. And Peter said, it's only 9 o'clock. And then the congregation said, but you don't know my uncle. <laughs> I ain't mean to talk about your Uncle Bobby like that. Let me keep going. But they said that they were drunk because the world will often only try to define God's activity by their limited understanding. So Peter, who formerly denied Jesus three times in front of a crowd, now stands up and boldly preaches under the power of the Holy Spirit who Jesus is in the midst of all these Jews, Pharisees, and religious leaders and tell them and preaches them such a message that cuts to their heart. Isn't it amazing that when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, He'll be able to move you beyond your insecurity. He'll be able to move you beyond what you have said your personality was. Have you noticed some people listen to the Enneagram, Myers-Briggs, and Shrimp Finders more than the Scriptures? All those things are fine, but when I realize when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he doesn't care what number you are on the Enneagram. He doesn't care if you are introverted, extroverted, ambiverted. What he's saying is that I want to use you in a way that only I can. And as the Holy Spirit came upon Peter, he preached boldly. He preached so boldly. He said, the Jesus whom you crucified. He didn't give them an easy, greasy grace message. He said, the Jesus whom you crucified, this is only a testimony that he has risen. And this is what the prophet Joel has said would happen. That he will pour out his spirit and his sons and daughters would prophesy. Old men would see visions. He said, I'm going to take you beyond your human ability. Because when you have been moved beyond your human divisions, your human abilities, what if we were able to get to a place where we were able to trust God beyond our own limitations? How many times do we limit God because we limit ourselves? God, there's no way you can use me. Moses tried it. He ended up delivering an entire country. Jeremiah said, well, I'm too young. 
He ended up prophesying until the people were taken to Babylon. What I'm saying is, whatever excuse you can come up with, the power of God can overcome. Okay, I said it, but you got to believe it. That maybe I said this next season is going to take a different type of power. I'm saying is that you gotta, you got to take the limits off of God. We say it like this. We believe that God wants us to be witnesses in our location, vocation, and our recreation. And, and this means where I live, where I work, and where I play. But then I added something else. He wants you also to be a witness in your tribulation. Right where you're suffering is your opportunity to count it all joy in the midst of a fiery furnace and still boldly proclaim, yet I will trust him. In the midst of the mystery, yes, I will trust him. The Holy Spirit comes upon us that God may begin to reveal himself to the world. They were cut to their hearts as Peter preached. They were cut to their hearts, and then they said, what must we do to be saved? Peter says, repent. Repentance is a lost word in modern church. Turn from your wicked ways is what he was saying. Most of us know the stuff we're doing wrong. Some of us, we need to get a little bit more teaching and realize that it's wrong. But he says, repent. Turn from your wicked ways. He says, and receive. Receive this good news of salvation. And receive this good news that you can be filled with the power of God to be witnesses. That day, thousands of people, 3,000 people got saved and got baptized. 3,000 people. Not 3,000 people attended the church. 3,000 people got baptized and filled with the Holy Spirit. What did they begin to do? They began to operate as one. Didn't I hear something about a campaign called One? They began to operate as one. And when they begin to operate as one, as you finish reading Acts chapter 2, it says that they gathered together on a daily basis and worshiped together, but then they gave all that they had that no one was in lack. This is a picture of the Holy Spirit-filled church. It says that there were miracles being performed. People who were sick were being healed. People who were hungry was being fed. People who were lonely was being loved. That's a picture of a Spirit-filled church operating on one accord. Does anybody want to see it? Does anybody want to be a part of a people that give whatever they have to give to love a people to show them Jesus? I almost get emotional at times when I begin to read this because I see that it's a possibility and I see the ways the world constantly comes against it. It says they were all together on one accord. That's how the book opened. That's how the chapter 2 opened up. And that's how chapter 2 closed. They went beyond their human divisions, beyond their human abilities, and 3,000 people getting saved, and the Lord added to the church daily, went beyond their human expectations. There was this concept of synergy introduced. Synergy is when two different elements join together to make a new element. Synergy is not simply energy. Synergy produces something. There's an old story about an oxen pulling contest. They had these different yokes of oxen, and they would see how many, how much weight each yoke could pull. The first place yoke of oxen pulled 15,000 pounds. The second place yoke of oxen pulled 10,000. 
And somebody said, well, I wonder how much they can pull together. Let's put our bets on that. Some of them said, well, 15 and 10, 25,000 pounds is easy. Some others said, well, no, they might pull a little bit more. They should at least be able to pull double what the first place pulled, 30,000. They put all their bets down. They loaded up. And they kept loading up, and the yoke of oxen kept moving. They went 30,000 pounds. They went 40,000 pounds. And the two yoke of oxen that pulled 10 and 15,000 by themselves pulled 50,000 pounds. That's the power of synergy. Because it goes from addition to multiplication. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, there's a heavenly synergy that begins to happen. That Ephesians 3.20 begins to take place now that he's able to do exceedingly and abundantly. More than you can ask, think, or imagine. And maybe that's the synergy of the Holy Spirit that God is about to move and focus into. Let me speak prophetically for a moment. That after the pruning, after the pain, that there's a new level of production. That this next season, that's not just, just for you individually, but it's for this church that God is about to bring it to a multiplication season that there's about to be multiplication of power multiplication of people who are going to be radically transformed I'm seeing drug addicts being delivered in a moment they're just going to go to the rehab center to confirm I'm seeing depression get ran out anxiety being being conquered I'm seeing suicide being pushed back and I'm seeing families being reunited because where the power of the Holy Spirit it is you can move forward you can move forward with power you can move forward into freedom you can move forward into grace you can move forward into peace anybody ready to go forward let us go beyond wherever we ever thought we could have been let us go beyond just the city limits let us go beyond and let us declare the wonderful works of our God come on let us celebrate our God in this place Give him a beyond praise. Give him beyond worship. Come on, lift up your voice in this place, family. Isn't he worthy to be praised? Praise him out of expectation. You have been listening to the In Focus Church podcast. We hope God met you right where you're at today. Be sure to like, subscribe, and leave a rating wherever you're listening from and visit infocuschurch.org for more on all that's going on in the life of our church.